We've got about 15 minutes left in the Craig Folly Show for this Thursday. And then after that, only one day left of the Craig Folly Show here on WDET. We have a live audience assembled. Claps, everybody. Nice job. Having a little bit of fun so far, I hope. Uh, great performance by Katie Grace. Just love her. She's wonderful, and uh, it was great to have her play. And live music is one of the things that I always insisted be a part of this program. But one of the other things that we insisted be part of this program was my friend Bankalay Thompson, who, of course, is a regular contributor here at WDET, and, uh, of course, the editor over at the Michigan Chronicle. And uh, apparently we have switched sides of the table here, and... Um, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Welcome, Bankley. It's good to see you, my friend. Uh, that's okay. I won't ask any questions about Benghazi either. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Benghazi! Well, thank you very much, and Bankley Thompson. Uh, thank you to our in-studio guests for coming up this, coming here this morning to celebrate, of course, the departure of Craig Farley. For a long time, Craig Farley has occupied the anchor chair here at WDET every morning, taking listeners through the discourse of a litany of issues. For a while, I have sat across the steps from Craig, answering questions every Thursday morning about the many issues that continue to define the city, the region, and the nation. This morning, Craig will answer questions from me, not about <laughs> the issues that we've discussed here before, but rather the subject this morning is Craig Farley. As a writer, perhaps I can better phrase it this way, beyond Craig Farley, what you did not know, or perhaps the portrait of Craig Farley. <laughs> <laughs> this is dangerous territory, my friend. So, so let's begin, my friend. Uh, All right. Look, what was the moment that made you decide that it was time to make the exit hmm. from this place? You know, it's, it was a decision I had to make pretty quickly, first of all. Um, I didn't have a lot of time, and I was not looking for another job. Um, but this opportunity came up, and I, I, I texted my wife right after I finished this meeting with some of the mayor's people and just said... I think they just offered me a job. And she said, really? She said, what? And I said, so we started talking about it. My wife and I talked about it for a few days, and then I went in for another meeting. Um, and it just seemed like it was, it was the right time to do it. I, I, I've been doing this conversation thing for a long, long time, and I think we've gotten off to a pretty good start. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done in getting people to at least think a little bit differently about the possibilities here. But it just seemed like it was an opportunity to serve in a different way. Um, you know, I've been talking for a long time. Maybe it's time to actually go try to do something. And it just took a few days, but just really saw it as an opportunity to see if I could make more of a difference. So uh, after you discussed it with the family, obviously, which is warranted, uh, when you, <laughs> yeah. ca you came to WDET, you had to let the staff know then. Mm -hmm. What was at the back of your mind? Um, I think that they would probably be relieved in some way. <laughs> 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 no, I, I don't know. Um, I've worked with so many good people here, and, and obviously you know them all as well. So you know the kind of staff that we've got here at WDET. Uh, that was kind of hard. I mean, that meeting where I let people know, I, I had to let a few people know before I had this whole staff meeting to, to do it. But um, there was a little bit of shock there, I think, from a lot of people. But for me, I, I wasn't worried about what was going to happen to them because I really trust in their ability to to do good things here. Everybody does good work and has a very defined roles and takes them very seriously. So I think I think they all got it and um, understood that it was time to move on. And, and my leaving actually creates some opportunities for people, which I think is going to be important. We can get a larger diversity of voices on the air here, and I think that's a big deal. So you are basically uh, agreeing that crises do create opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Don't they? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, yeah, look, take a look at the city of Detroit, what they're going through right now. Nobody would deny that this is a, a, a crisis situation when it comes to the delivery of services, the financial condition of the city. Um, but there's now an opportunity 
to, to change the way that things are done, to change the way that uh, they do business in the city of Detroit, the way that they deliver services, and the way that they think about neighborhoods and redevelopment, and the fact that they're actually maybe going to have resources to think about neighborhoods for the first time in a long time, I think it's critical. So let me switch the pendulum to an obvious question. Right. What attracted you to radio? Hmm. You know what? I, I was always the kid in class growing up that would raise his hand to read in front of the class. When there was that opportunity where the teacher would call on you, who wants to read the next section? I loved doing that. I was, you know, maybe it's because I was pretty good at it and I'd show off a little bit. It was the only thing I was good at. Oh, Certainly felt- wasn't a great athlete because I was always about four feet tall. Um, but, you know, I, it goes back to that. And, and I took one shift on a college radio station, one shift, and the light bulb finally went off Figured that, that gave me an idea of what I wanted to do with my life. I, I could have been a lawyer, frankly. I was really close to being a lawyer. And I didn't go down that path. Nothing against lawyers, but it would not have been the right fit for me. And why, so, did, why did you change your mind? I worked at a law firm one summer and saw what it was really like. It certainly wasn't Perry Mason. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of billable hours and a lot of time in the library uh, doing research on incredibly boring cases, depending on what field you're in. So, so let's talk about uh, some of the most instructive memories for you, you know, when you were growing up in, mm-hmm. in radio. What, what were some of the, perhaps, the memories that stood out for you? Uh, in terms of this that, career? Yeah, or, yeah that, uh, that justified the need for you to, in fact, dig further down the line to really get into radio. Oh, well, you know, it was, I, I started out here as an intern, right? And, right. I, and I started writing news copy, and, and I, mean, I was a political science and a history major in college, but you know, didn't want to teach either. Uh, and so it just, it was an opportunity to really utilize the, the knowledge that I had already amassed about those sorts of things and, and put them to good use. So it was just th- this understanding of political systems and getting an opportunity to watch it firsthand and be a part of it in that way was really, really exciting. The first couple of press conferences I went to as a young, young person, you know, I'm sitting there and there's Coleman Young giving an address and taking questions. And I remember the first time I got to ask him a question and he looked at me like I was just some stupid kid that just came in. He's like, who is this kid? And sort of tried to dismiss it, but he did answer the question. Did he use the F word along with that? Um, <laughs> sort of mumbled under his breath to one of his aides, who's this blank blank, you know, who is this uh, punk? Uh, uh, vi- and- vintage Coleman Young. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, I, as he did this, and I'm sitting there kind of nervously, a couple of other the veteran reporters sort of nudged me in the elbow, like, hey, welcome, kid. You know, so like... So, <laughs> so well, that was basically perhaps your baptism, if you will, into rigorous... Yeah, I mean, my hand was shaking as I had my microphone, you know. I was getting ready to ask this question. I'm like, all right, I, I can do this. I can do this. Against a guy that I'd grown up watching on the news and watched him sparring with reporters, sparring with anchors, anybody else that dared challenge him on things. He was a feisty, feisty guy. And so, I mean, I was, I was scared as heck and still managed somehow uh, to get it out and do it. And that was like, that was this moment where I realized, all right, I can do this. And I'm enjoying this. This is fun. And the writing part of it was always easy to me because I'd already had these ideas floating around in my head. So the deadlines never bothered me. I thrived on the deadlines. I ate deadlines. It was great. So, so let me ask you then, uh, uh, since you entered radio to where we are now, what do you think has changed in this business? Hmm. Well, a lot. Well, a how lot, has things evolved? A lot has changed in this business. When I first started, uh, there were a lot more media outlets especially broadcast media outlets that took this notion of fairness seriously, that there was still a responsibility to tell an even story. That went out the window with the rise of, of, of talk radio. And I think we lost a lot of outlets, and certain stations decided that, you know what, we think the money's going to be over here with this, so we're going to take this right-wing talk radio, we'll sell a ton of ads around it, our objectivity is obviously gone, but you know what, we'll trade that 
for the ability to get ratings. And that bothers me a little bit because every radio station used to have a newscast at the top of the hour. When I was a kid, every station, even the, even the rock stations, would have newscasts. And you could find out what was going on in the world. That's been abandoned. And I think that's been to the detriment of, of society. Because, you know, you could be listening to Katy Perry on 96.3. And guess what? That 16-year-old, 15-year-old girl listening to, to Katy Perry on 96.3 would actually get a newscast. Well, well, that was well, not a bad thing. Uh, yeah, With the rise of talk radio also, we, ha- we see the rise of the Internet. How do you think that has changed or impacted journalism today? Well, I think it's made the job a little bit more difficult because you're fighting against more narratives that may be out there because people can get information or what they perceive to be information from a lot of different sources. So if you've got somebody that's trying to reinforce certain viewpoints, um, sometimes you have to fight against a false narrative that's already been put out there in other places. And and look, that just goes with the territory. It's made it more difficult for us um, because you can have an incredibly sourced story a really well-sourced story, and if somebody goes into it believing something else, they'll just, you know, well, I, I'm just going to dismiss that. And I, I think that's a bit of a problem. So it makes our job that much harder. You know, let's, let's take this to the audience and see if they'll make this job di- more difficult. All right, let's uh, see. Some questions here from the audience. It's, it hasn't been that difficult so All far. Right. I was expecting worse, but that's okay. <laughs> Morning, Craig. Hi. My name is Howard Lederman. I have a question. At any time during your years here, do you ever feel like you were on the verge of losing control over the show to a caller or a guest? It's not so much about the caller or the guest. It's my own control that I was on on the verge of losing on a couple of occasions. And I always have to rein myself in. Um, And you can get pretty passionate about things. And when somebody's going off the rails or making a point that is clearly based in, in false information or just, you know... That's when you get angry and frustrated, but you cannot sink to that level. When you're trying to actually create a place for open dialogue and space, you just got to be really, really careful not to let that happen. There have only been a couple of times, and Joan Isabella, who is in here right now, my executive producer, has reined me in on a couple of occasions. And it'll be something as simple as talking. We have a little thing in these headphones where the people in the studio, my producers, can talk directly to me. And they can say, calm down, take a breath. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Usually it's like, come back and, and, and do it. But it's, you know, callers, we have the power to shut them off, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if they're really doing something destructive. Uh, so it's, it's mostly about keeping your own emotions in check and recognizing when you're sort of losing it a little bit. So, so let's see if you have some favorites here. What's been the most fascinating interview you've done in this, <sighs> on this program? Yeah, I've been thinking about this for like the last three weeks. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, every one that I have done has been interesting in its own way. Uh, Do you have a favorite interviewee? Favorite interviewee? Mm-hmm. Do mean, you have I, a favorite politician? I, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, nothing against politicians, but, you know, I, and frankly, I mean, I vote. Uh, there are people that I support. There are people that I've known for a long time, people that I trust, those that I don't trust. Uh, but, you know, none of them are really favorites. There are things that you have to do. One of the most frustrating interviews, and I'm going to say this flat out, uh, just because it, it, it is, is Rick Snyder, in that he's a nice guy. I know him. We're not like pals or anything like that, but I know him, and we, you know, but getting a straight answer out of him, getting him to actually answer a question is difficult for all of us, not he, just me, but it's just one of those things. He's really, really crafty, and he knows exactly how to get around. He knows exactly where you're trying to go, and he'll never let you quite pierce that armor. He's a relentless positive action. Exactly. <laughs> Relentlessly positive in his deflection, and it's, it's okay. He's gift. Look, if you're a politician, that's a really important skill to have, because otherwise, 
you get sucked down the rabbit hole it's, that it's you or called, I want to take them down. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's frustrating at times. And, it, and listeners get frustrated with that, too. But um, that's just the way it is. He's it's, just it's really, really good RPA. at it. John Engler was actually pretty good at that, too. Let's take another, call, another uh, uh, question from the audience. Good morning. Um, this is Lee Paget. Hi, Lee. Hi. Um, so I have a, a question. It seems like you work with some really wonderful, fun, intelligent um, co- people here at, at the station. But have they ever just intentionally tried to sabotage you to make you laugh on air? On occasion. It has happened. It has happened. Um, you know, what typically will happen is, is somebody in the other room will type something on this little screen here because there's also a talkback box where we can type messages to each other. And Matt Trevethan, who, of course, is my engineer, he and I have this weird sort of pop culture reference encyclopedia in our brains where we remember really obscure stuff from films and music and things like that. And we'll be talking to somebody, and he'll type a little message in there about something that will make me laugh in the middle of an interview. And you'll hear it on occasion where there'll be a little chuckle in my voice. And sometimes it's not appropriate. So, I, you know, we have to be kind of careful. And if it's one of those things where, you know, He's made me laugh, and it was inappropriate. I will go in there and say, man, you can't do that. <laughs> so, yes, but uh, sabotage? No, not really. I would never say sabotage. That's a strong word. So let me ask the obvious question. Another obvious question is, when does your day begin? Um, I wake up at about 5.15 every day um, and have for a long, long time. Uh, I used to get up a lot earlier than that when I did morning edition. So it starts at about 5.15 and ends at usually about 1, 1.30 in the morning um, because that's... The time I get to read is before the family's awake or after they go to bed. So that's been a big part of it. But that's it. So my final question is, giving you the opportunity now to to drop the bombshell, what is it about you that we don't know? I've been a pretty open book, I think. There's not a whole lot. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, One thing that they don't know. I'm a sap. Okay. (laughs) How about that? Well, I should let people know. Well, this thank is you WDET very much, Craig. Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. Bank of Lake, thank you, my friend. And uh, we are going to be, we're excited that you're going to be helping us in this transition. So thank you for that. So Bank of Lake will be sticking around, everybody.